Welcome, everyone, to the CapsCorner.com podcast, CapsCorner.com, your source for new sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place where Franklin State's in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, September the 30th. October's like right, like right on the other side over there, and Virginia's only played one football game. Um, so is the strangeness that is, you know, maybe it's, hopefully it'll be a long season, but so is the strangeness of this season, which started last weekend, as I'm sure everybody who's not living under a rock knows very well by now, Virginia come out, came, ugh, wow, came out with a 38 to 20 victory over Duke, um, had to put some, some stuff together in that second half, especially in the fourth quarter, uh, but I got it done and, and did it in somewhat convincing fashion. So we'll talk about that. And look, number one team in the country is, is next on the, on the, on the schedule. Um, it can be, it's probably going to be a gift and a curse and we'll get into that as well. Um, cause I mean, that team is just, just absolutely filthy. Uh, before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody first up in Fishersville. David Spence is on the show. How's it going, my friend? Yeah, I guess it's going pretty well. I'm, um, I'm here to serve as moderator. Anytime I hear you talk about Lavelle Davis. Um, anyway, who Dave's on the board and <laughs> who Dave's on Twitter. I just like to stay for the record. That's the first time. Since we since we began this call, I have not mentioned it once, so I'm just you know I'm I'm trying to be a good you know a good uh, <laughs> a good winner. So I don't know. Up in uh, Arlington, staff writer Justin Ferber also on the program. What's going on, my dude? Not too much. Um, we got to the season. There was a game. Uh, it's a long season, but um, optimism had four catches for 108 yards and two touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> At, at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. And Cavs Corner, also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner, great place for the in-game updates, content items, and me taking victory laps over calling Lavelle Davis my guy. All right? Let's, let's, just, let's, just, let's just dispose of this topic real quick. I said Lavelle Davis' name, and y'all both thought I was nuts. Right? We hung up, and I think Ferber was like, wow, did not expect that one. Right? And... When he when he when he had the one that got overturned, I was like, oh man. I I, I was kind of looking forward to you know having a little bit of victory lap. I had no idea what was coming. In the pantheon, well, I mean, I, I kind of knew he was going to be a thing before that because I was like, this dude is getting targets. Like he's like actually he's not just out there. Like he's in the game. Like he's playing. Yeah, I mean, he and, and we joke about him being the you know the Terrell Chapman of this season. Um, you know, because last year it looked like, you know, every time you turn around, he was getting a target. Um, but, man, Davis really, I mean, I had heard, you know, that he was, um, you know, playing pretty well in practice and that, you know, he was going to, he was definitely going to be on the two deep. The question was just going to be, you know, how much burn he got. Um, and I think he got even more, even early, before he actually started doing stuff than I expected. But, man, talk about a, um, a debut. Uh, in the pantheon of things that you expected to see Saturday, Dave, where did – a freshman wide receiver catching four balls for 100 yards and two touchdowns rank on the list. Uh, I mean, it's pretty low. Um, I mean, first of all, you predicted it, so that made it even less. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like, well, there goes Lavelle Davis's yeah. shot. Actually, Dontavian Wicks is still going to have a nice career. Yeah, I'm just. Back. It's going to be awkward when Wicks gets back next year. Like when you get back to the locker room interviews, like which one? Which one's your dude then? Yeah, I don't know. Can Brad's you have two gonna, dudes, yeah, Brad? Brad? Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> no, gonna, look, listen. He's only got one rose. No, listen. <laughs> I think it was spe- it was especially surprising. Like not only like most freshmen, you figure uh, you know he didn't he wasn't an early enrollee, which you know wasn't a big advantage with that this year anyway. With them getting sent home, 
Um, but this is a dude, who, you know, you know, a true first year who came into think about what his life was like you know, pre-COVID, like you, you know, a high school star, blah blah blah, doing this thing, and then you show up. The transition to college is nor- normally difficult. This year, think we know we know what those guys have been exposed to. So man, this is a 17, 18 year old kid being forced to basically live in a bubble, um, not get the normal college experience, and somehow come out and produce like that. Like I think it makes it doubly impressive um, in a program that doesn't guarantee you playing time. Um, and we saw pretty quickly while he earned it. What I've been most impressed about since then is like Broncos, like, yeah, we weren't surprised. Um, so yeah, I mean, the boy's good. Um, you know, he's gone now it's, now it's dealing with it when you're got a little target on your back, but he's just, he's just a physical presence and yeah, it's exciting to have him on the team. I look forward to seeing how he develops. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my thing with him was just like, uh, I mean, obviously like you see his highlights coming out of high school and you're like, okay, this guy has the ability to kind of become a really physical player. But I mean, with guys like that, not not tr- not specifically Davis or anything, but the wiry big guys, a lot of times in high school, they can get by on just how big they are. Um, and they're not really built – I mean, unless they're like upper echelon five-star kind of guys, they're not usually like built for college football yet. I mean, they have to put weight on, get used to like playing in a more complex offense. Um, so, that I mean, he's he's on a faster track than I'd imagine, you know. I mean, usually for any receiver, it takes a little bit of time to kind of acclimate. And, and UVA doesn't have, like, a long track record of freshmen, like, bursting onto the scene like that. So, I mean, at any position, especially wide receiver. So, I mean, I think that he's, he's obviously further along than I realized. But, um, I mean, that like I said before, the eight targets, it makes more, like, legitimizes it more for me than the catches and everything because – it's clear that Armstrong trusts him. He's a real part of the offense. I mean, eight targets is a lot. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that it, it shows that it, I don't think it's like a fluky thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, I didn't I, I didn't expect four catches, 100 yards, two touchdowns. I, I thought that, you know, he could be a factor, at least in terms of being able to stretch the field, you know, give him a nice matchup, you know, um, positive in the red zone. I, I didn't expect to see him, you know, fighting off tacklers the way he did. Um, for that second touchdown, um, I, I thought going into this that Rashawn Henry would get a lot more targets than he did, and, and Bronco talked a little bit about that after the game. Like, like that's just a you know kind of a blip. Um, you know, he's going to be a big part of the offense. But overall, I mean, yeah, I did not expect to. I mean, even though the guy's my guy, um, and for the record, if if and when um, Dontavian Wicks is back, um, you know, we'll we'll have some sort of you know Game of Thronesian sort of. Um, <laughs> sort of battle royale, um, but man, I thought one thing that was interesting was Bronco made the point about how like when you're that tall, like even if you have a guy on you, like you're still open. And I, I want to transition sort of the I don't I mean I really I'm not interested to I'm, I'm kind of interested in it, but I'm not too interested in the victory lap as much as I am just sort of what it means for the dynamics of the team. But I want to transition the conversation to. Brandon Armstrong in his his debut as a starter. Now we've seen him before, so this was not, you know, he was not undiscovered territory. I thought he looked very different in that first half than at any point I had seen him uh, at UVA. Uh, his mechanics were all over the place. Footwork was a little bit iffy. Um, he was clearly kind of. It looked like to me at least trying to to carry the weight of the moment 
and maybe a little bit too inside his head, which is interesting considering all the things we heard about him and confidence and just, you know, being able to, you know, sort of wipe one play and, and go to the next and stuff. And what I found kind of fascinating, though, was the way the UVA sort of got him going. And Ferber's piece, it, listen, stop, if you were listening to this podcast, unless you're driving, uh, stop, go and, and click the link that's in um, the show notes for this episode or, or it's in the content item for this. Read, read the film room. All right, take the seven hours it'll take to read the thing, but read it and, and check it out because his breakdown of, of, of what Armstrong did on Saturday I thought was exceptional. And I'm not just saying that because the dude is affiliated with I mean, I mean like legitimately one of the best things we've ever done. I'm not even kidding. Um, but I thought that Virginia did a good job getting him going, and then once he got going, he's got a little gunslinger in him. And, I mean, to be quite frank, like, do we think that's a good thing? And I, and I opened that for conversation in part because I do think it's, a, it's mostly a good thing. But, like, when you got a six foot seven dude that you know is probably going to be open, I mean, he's going to throw that thing up there to that kid a lot. Like, he's got a little gunslinger in him. And I'm curious to get your, your opinions on the good and the bad of that, both, you know, going into Clemson, but also just, you know, for this season. Dave, let's start with you. Do you, do you see the gunslinger in him, and how do you feel? If you do see the gunslinger in him, I see a little bit of gunslinger in him. I I just think he, he's one of those like fiery competitive dudes, and um, he, he certainly had a rough start. But it's the first game he's ever come in as a starter, and he's playing against a team that's already played twice and after practicing for weeks on weeks. So I wasn't shocked by the slow start, <clears throat> especially because it wasn't just him. Like. I thought even the offensive line and you know the wide receivers, the running backs, trying to get up to game speed and all that stuff. It took him a little. It took him a minute. Um, and, and our boy Terrence, I talked to him this week and asked him about it, and he said something which, looking back, he was right. He's like, as soon as they called his number and he got hit a couple times, it's like it turned something on in him. Um, he, you know, and there's dudes like that who just need to be hit. You know, that slightly crazy. Um, so I just think, you know, he, he definitely thrives off that competitiveness. I can see a little gunslinger. I think, you know, when you got weapons, it's like, you know, it's not just Davis at 6'7". You've got Poljan running out there who's almost 6'7". Um, you know, and then the other side, he's got like 5'8", 5, 5'11". 5, you know, so I like it. I think it's it's a little bit of, well, I like it because we won. I probably wouldn't be upset if we, probably be upset if we hadn't, but. I think he's just one of those guys. That's what he's going to be. He he's just a fiery competitor. He's going to take shots. You know, um, he threw a lot more fifty-fifty balls than we're used to seeing. Uh, at least we saw in the last year. You know, last year. Um, yeah, yeah. I like him. I think I think a lot of his issues Saturday. And Justin, you're right. I mean, Justin Peace is great. So I'm not going too much detail about play by play. But for me, it was a a lot of happy feet and. Just not, you know, not getting sound, not having sound footwork, which, you know, when you're, when you add that with his experience, it makes sense. You'll see that. Like, you still see that from professional quarterbacks when they get pressure. So um, there were a couple of times where there wasn't pressure and he, he got happy feet. So they'll work on that and hopefully he'll improve. But, you know, if you look at it as, as um, game one for him, uh, you know, I think it's a little unfair if we compare him to Perkins and Ben Kurt game one, because, you know, those guys were fresh to us. We've seen uh, Armstrong a little bit more. Uh, I think I'm, I can be a, a lot. I'm pretty happy with his performance overall. I think I'm a little happier if I take away previous knowledge of his game. 
for right, I feel like I don't need to ask you because literally anybody can go and read everything you thought of what <laughs> you did this weekend. Um, and and while I don't want you to to stop putting all the good stuff into the film room, it is going to make it difficult <laughs> when when that thing runs Wednesdays when we record on Wednesday nights. But generally speaking, when you when you look forward, right? So you did an incredible job of breaking down sort of what we saw Saturday. When you look forward, what do you expect to see from him? And is that gunslinger thing that I'm seeing and Dave's seeing a little bit of, do you feel like that's, that do you feel that that's there? Do you feel like it's, that's a thing that shows up, you know, when X happens, how do you, how do you sort of frame what, what we should expect from Armstrong going forward? Yeah. I mean, I think that he definitely showed a willingness to throw the ball into contested areas. I'm not saying like places that he shouldn't have thrown it. There were a couple of those, um, but any quarterback makes throws like that. I, I was kind of encouraged that he wasn't just like, you know, checking the ball down and getting rid of it or throwing it away or, or you know, some quarterbacks that can run will just start defaulting to that when they don't know what to do. Um, he definitely looked at, like he knew the offense and, and where the ball needed to be. Um, I think, you know, talking about the gunslinger thing, I think getting the ball up to Davis as much as he did, a lot of, I mean, there was only one or two of those throws to Davis where he was open. I mean, like open, open. I mean, those are contested throws that he just had faith that he would be able to catch. And all the short stuff kind of looked like what we've seen in the past. So, I mean, I think that he definitely had command. Um, early on, I think he, he – and I'm just going to call it like it is. I mean, he just wasn't that good in the first half um, or so of the game and going into the beginning of the second half. And I think he would be quick to admit that. Um but then, you know, I was very encouraged by how he bounced back from that. And that shows me that he has a lot of confidence in himself and the coaches have a lot of confidence in his ability and, and all of that. But, I mean, at one point he was 11 for 31. And, and I saw a, a few different issues. I mean, I saw a few late throws where he kind of like quickly tried to go to the second read and make the throw and it was wide or low. Um, obviously he had, uh, it, and this is something that I don't anticipate being a, a trend going forward, but I mean, he had an, an, you know, an odd number of drops too. So, I mean, in fairness to him, I mean, there were six drops. They had eight all of last year, according to pro football focus, which seems unbelievable, but it's true because we know that, you know, they didn't have a lot of drops. Um, I, I think that going forward, I think what you're going to see is him. They're going to try to figure out from the game on Saturday what he did really well. I would like to see personally him get on the move more, um, whether that's on his own or by design. I think that um, the throws came out of his hand really good when he was out of the pocket. Um, and if you get him out of the pocket, he can run. So, I mean, you can do all kinds of stuff with that. And there's lots of other things you can do with that. I mean, I, I don't want him to do that every play, but to keep the defense off balance, I think it's a good look. And there was one play against Duke where he hit Kemp on the sideline on a design rollout. And I'm telling you, if they had rolled somebody to the backside of that defense on the right side of the field, there was nobody there <laughs> because the entire, everybody cheated to the left. So I think you can, there's a lot of ways you can get creative with that. Um, we saw Perkins do some design rollouts at times. I think a lot of his were more off script him kind of doing it on his own. And, and there was some of that on Saturday as well, but um Overall, encouraged from what I've seen, considering, one, it's just one game, right? So it's not like we have a season-long sample size of him, um, particularly with the interceptions. Hopefully, you know, he's not throwing two a game. I don't think he will. Um, and two, you know, it's his first game. So, I mean, I think that he, he did what he needed to do. He threw the ball 45 times, which is more than Perkins ever threw the ball in his two years at UVA. 
um, in a game. So, I mean, that in itself shows that, that they're okay with putting the ball in his hands and letting him sling it around. Yeah, I thought that uh, as an offense, um, you know, the drops were a little concerning um, in the sense that, you know, it's just it was just something that Virginia you didn't have to you didn't have to worry about you know last year. I mean, I don't think I see dropped a ball. I don't think I can't remember him dropping a ball. And I think Jana had like one. <laughs> yeah, and then you yeah. know the one he had. I mean, it was like right where, you know, historically he catches everything. Um, you know, the drop yeah, I on mean, that so third down. Like, the the one on when that I third went back down and to looked. Tyler Papa though, real quick, like yeah, good. That could have changed the complexion of the game at that moment because I do think if Simpson had been in there, that thing, you know, I don't know if he scores, but it's it's going to be a huge game, right? Um, <laughs> or if he just catches it, <laughs> yeah, right. So I do think that you know the drops were a th- were a thing, and I think Ferber's piece does a really good job of sort of outlining like, hey, look, um, some of this is 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 on Brennan, but that that second half, you know, he was almost in some ways kind of a very different quarterback, and also his guys you know, performed better for him. Um, I, I wonder about the drops going forward, especially, you know, as, you know, things sort of settle down. Um, one thing I want to get to before we we, we, we transition to really um, kind of diving into things, I, I'm curious what we think. Bronco always likes to say that you never know what you've got until you play a game, right? And I, I think Nye is very much a similar coach. Um, I know the defensive coaches – they probably have a fairly good handle on who their people are and what they need to do. And um, I, I don't expect that they're going to be very different, you know, week two or excuse me, game two, game three, week five, whatever it is. Um, but I could see the offense kind of taking a few weeks to really coalesce. Right. Um, how do we feel about for, let's start with you in terms of, of what you expect from UVA, from a schematic standpoint, do you think you'll see more read option stuff? Cause I thought, I thought the offense was better when Brennan ran and he was better. Like he seemed, he, it seemed like it got him going. It wasn't just like the first hit. It was like the more, the more hits he took, he seemed to be better. Um, and certainly, you know, he showed some athleticism. I mean, he tried to hurdle that one dude um, and basically did. Um, do you expect the offense that we see in, in game two, game three to look really similar to what we saw against Duke or do you feel like there's going to be some 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 crafting of the clay so to speak I mean I think any offense is going to have they're going to make changes after the first game just because some of the stuff you thought in the offseason that was going to work really well doesn't really work as well as you think and then other things that were more complimentary you're like man we could really lean on this more um case in point being what they did with Jana last year I mean as the season went on they just started going to him more and more on those little sit down routes I, I think you know the the core of the offense will remain the same. I think you're still going to have a, a game, uh, an offense that's predicated on quick, short reads uh, and throws, and and obviously spreading out defenses. Lots of different formations and pre-snap motion and personnel groupings, uh, rotating in and out. Obviously, they mixed in some tempo, which doesn't really come as a big surprise. Um, I think that's what you're going to see throughout the season. They they you know they still had the ball for 35 minutes of the game, um, despite mixing in and having more plays. Um, but I think, yeah, I think I think you're going to see him maybe run the ball a little bit more. Um, it kind of felt to me, I, I'd have to go back and look at the, you know, the play-by-play, but it felt like they kind of got away from it at one point um, where it was like the first touchdown drive where he ran in for the touchdown after that hurdle play. It felt like they were kind of trying to get him going with his legs. And I know they had that one third down play that he didn't convert on a, kind of like a, a – 
power bootleg to the left um, in the first quarter. It felt like earlier in the game they were trying to get him going, and then later on it was more throw heavy. Um, and and I guess you know it was working in the second half with the, with the throw. So I mean, especially in the fourth quarter. So I, I kind of understand that. But I think you'll probably see more carries than in some games than he had the uh, the other day. And I think what he have ten. Um, and and I think sometimes I think that's going to be about the number. It's just how they get there and you know what that looks like. But I think what we saw from I've been kind of critical of the running game in the past, the the traditional running game. Um, and I thought what Wayne looked like on Saturday was better than he's ever looked. Um, I don't know if that means he's made changes or there were just better holes there because the blocking was better and he was hitting the holes harder and, and picking up good yards than he had a career day and. And Simpson certainly looked good in the limited carries that he got. Um, so I think that takes some pressure off him and opens things up a little bit more too. So um, I think the overall offense will stay the same, and they'll just have to figure out what he does well after two, three, four games, and then he can kind of settle in and and they can tr- sort of build around him, if that makes sense. Dave, what do you do? You feel like uh, you'll see more Brennan running? Do you do you like the tempo? Like what what what? What did you learn about the offense in week one that you think will be consistent, and what do you feel like yeah. will have to change? Um, I don't know what's going to have to change. I think that's to be determined. Um, but, I mean, it certainly sounds like we're going to see more tempo. I mean, I think and I said, you know, I can't remember what his exact quote was. It was basically hold on to your hats or something. Um, you know, it's going to hold on, boys. Faster. Have your hats. Yeah. yeah. And no. they, they came out against Clemson last year and ran tempo for like the whole first half. Yeah. And and there's some advantage to tempo. Like you keep the same personnel grouping on the field, but you know, for your defense. But, you know, as Justin was just mentioning, as we talked about a lot last year, a lot of what I did really well with the group last year was personnel groupings, pre-snap motions, and that kind of stuff. You can't do quite as much of that when you're running tempo. Um, and that puts a little more on your quarterback's, you know, lab because he can't see – it's a little bit harder to diagnose the defense if you're not sending guys in motion and, and everything else. But it does give you an advantage if you've got guys who can do multiple things, which is one of the reasons Bronco went away from tempo when he got here. Like, you know, they didn't have the offensive lawn depth to do it. They didn't have receivers who were good blockers and catchers. They didn't have, you know, tight ends. They didn't have running backs that could do both. That They were comfortable doing both, and they didn't have a quarterback they were comfortable with. So I guess – maybe it, you know it's something that speaks to their confidence in in the um in the group of guys they've assembled and it kind of makes sense if you look at you know who played a lot you know, against duke it it's multiple guys um you know guys who can do do multiple things you know davis he doesn't have to be a great run blocker because the db's not leaving him you know um and Paul john i thought did a great job blocking mish did a great job blocking and telepapa that's always been a strength so um, I do think you'll see Armstrong run more as the season goes on. I, um, I went back to look what we did against Duke last year. Um, Perkins had 26 carry, 26 passes and 22 carries now. How many of those were designed? I can't tell. Just looking at the box score. So certainly more pass-heavy this year. Um, so it can't be – it's not just a Duke thing. You know, It's not like we've always not run the quarterback a lot against Duke. Um, but if you're going to go tempo – like. The way tempo works is having a very few teams that go tempo with just a, a drop back passer, right? Like Texas Tech, baby. But most of them are dual threat guys, and they tend to use read option because that's how they get into, they see what's going on with the defense. Um, so yeah, I do expect you'll see them run more. But it's a long season. We have to remember they're coming off a 
you know, he probably hasn't taken many shots. I mean, they've been practicing a lot. I'm guessing they didn't let people bring Brennan to the ground very often. So I think they'll work him up. Um, I certainly think you'll see more against Clemson because you've got to keep him off balance a little bit. Let's uh, let's dive into some things about the defense. We 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 obviously are, are we we know what the defense is. Like I mentioned earlier, like the the staff certainly understands like what they have to do. I was a little bit um, a little bit surprised to see um, them have some trouble down the middle of the field, but I think that does kind of speak to the one you know sort of main personnel loss that they had with with Jordan Mack being gone, and um, I, I felt like that little that little section of, of the game. Um, especially when Nick Jackson was out for a few plays, they were just not the same team. Um, given the grades and everything we saw from from Jackson and, and Zandir, um, you know, it's clear that they had pretty solid games beyond just the tackle numbers. Uh, Ferber, let's go to you. Defensively, what what stood out to you? Good, bad, indifferent, um, and did did they did they do anything really that was outside of sort of what you expected? Not really. Um, I mean, it looked like the UVA defense to me. Um, shout out to the sideboard. Got his first career sack. Um, or whatever it is. Juggernaut. Um, I'll never get that right. Uh, yeah, I think you hit on it. I think the, the one play down the seam, the long touchdown that Duke had, um, UVA had several linebackers in the game that were not their traditional four. Um, just because of injury or, or you know rest or whatever. And and I give Cutcliffe credit for kind of I don't know if he recognized that and went after the player that was in coverage or um, I believe it was Josh Ahern, um, or if it was just coincidental. But I mean that throw was there because there was no safety help and and you know he just didn't get followed enough by the linebacker and it was there and and if you think about it that was the only touchdown they had in the game that came on a long drive right I think it was the only score they had of the game that wasn't on a long or a short drive I mean Armstrong throws the pick I think at his own eight um or whatever it was that led to the second touchdown the first field goal was off of the um and we did yeah we didn't even mention that they fumbled the opening kickoff of the season <laughs> um but yeah I mean like they had that was the only play and that was one big busted play that led to those points so I mean, other than that, the defense was really solid throughout the game. I think um, I knew that Duke would probably be a little bit more competent on offense than they had been in their other games just because, you know, it's more time in the system for Bryce. You know, they're going to be able to go back and look at what they did wrong in those first two games and, and figure it out. But um, I thought UVA didn't give up a ton of backbreaking plays. They got off the field a lot. Um, when the offense was struggling early in the game, I think that's when they did some of their best work because they weren't necessarily forcing turnovers, but um, they were getting off the field and keeping the game tight. I mean, it, it was 10 nothing when UVA finally got it going, but they didn't let that game kind of get away from them early. And then in the second half, they just turned Duke over way too many times for Duke to have a chance to win. Um, I, I'd like to I like to see that because, I mean, we, we, did, we said it – you know, in the, in the week leading up to the game, Duke didn't have a lot of game-breaking playmakers at wide receiver and tight end, um, and, and UVA's coverage was was really good there. They didn't let guys get behind them. Duke didn't have a bunch of plays where it was like, man, the guy was wide open and he dropped it or anything like that either. Um, they were just really solid overall, and, and it was kind of a quiet day from a from a havoc standpoint if you think about it, because it didn't feel like they they got to the quarterback a lot. But I mean, if you look at their numbers, I think they had like eleven tackles for loss and four or five sacks. So overall, I mean, you can't complain about that. It was just 
another similar effort to what we've seen them do against Duke in the past, where they just kind of lock down and, and make Duke have to punt a lot and then turn them over a bunch of times. What about you, Dave? What do you think? It was for me, it was weird. Like, you know, watching the game real time and when it first ended, I was like, man, that defense is something. Like, I mean, the defense came out to their credit. Like Justin said, came out, you know, we fumbled the opening kickoff. The defense comes out not having played a rep all year. And that might have been the biggest possession of the game. It it probably was. I mean, until the trick play by Duke, those are probably the two biggest (laughs) plays of the game. Oh, man, I forgot about that. Yeah. So, I mean, so, you know, watching the game, I, I felt the defense was multiple. You know, they, they confuse Duke a lot as they do, you know, it seems like year in and year out despite, you know, quarterback changes. Um, they certainly, like, the defensive line depth, depth even without Famui, is impressive. Um, you know, Carter Carter came in and shocked me. Like, that that dude's strong. We, you know, you put him with Briggs, and that's some real depth at the nose tackle. Disruptive depth, you know, at a position that, and, you know, a lot of times when Virginia's running 3-4 with, you know, in previous years of Bronco and then in the grow era, like they couldn't get a guy who could be disruptive at nose tackle. He was just a space eater. Um, if you can two gap and be disruptive, that changes your, your, your defense. Um, but yeah, a lot of what we saw last year, you know, multiple fronts, multiple, you know, multiple different substitution patterns, a lot of guys playing different positions than a linebacker. But, you know, as I was saying, as the game ended, I was like, wow, they're really good. Then I went back and looked at stats and they really did, I mean, they gave up four passes of over 30 yards, including the 55-yard touchdown. Um, they were really good to get the run, but still not great against the deep ball, which they were one of the worst in the country against the deep ball last year. Obviously, they had you know pretty big um, personnel losses in the back end, but I was a, I was a little surprised with how that Duke was still able to to make some hay, you know, through the air. Deep. Some of them are 50-50 balls, but a lot of it's, a lot of them weren't. Um, maybe that trust me. Wide open throws to the tight end. Yeah, yeah. I mean the tight end, like the 55-yard touchdown on the tight end. That play right after Jackson got hurt, they ran in Ahern as the other inside linebacker. Zane Blitz, Gom was supposed to rotate back. Neither one of them got enough depth, and then the safeties because of alignment were a little off center. Um, that was just. I'm sure. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Cutco saw it. Yeah, it was it was by design to pull the safeties out of the middle yeah. of the field. And then the second tight end touchdown, which it was just Zane. Zane was probably a yard short. You know, he's just being aggressive. That's who he is. Like you can't take that away from me. At 15 tackles, otherwise, um, it's football. The other team's going to score occasionally. Um, but yeah, overall, I'm, I'm happy with the defense. I, I, you know, I can't think of anything bad that they did other than give up <laughs> some big plays, which. I don't think we're schematic. I just think it was, you know, some guys, you know, when you rotate that many guys, it's not un, not uncommon to to see a breakdown or two. Um, but, you know, I, I was, I was going to bring up that trick play because I do think like, it was a pretty comfortable win. But if Duke doesn't do that trick play, like that kind of got a lot of, a little more hairy going into the fourth quarter. Yeah, which I seem like they doesn't it seem like yeah. I mean that, that, that play that play definitely changed the game. I yeah, mean, if, I, you you can't guarantee that Duke goes and scores there or a touchdown anyway. But they're at least getting if they three. did. <laughs> what, if they did, they would have been up ten. Yeah, yeah. In it's the fourth quarter, right? It's a very different game. And then Duke can sit back and not get exploited so much on big passing plays. But yeah, I mean that was just you know sometimes that's part of the game too. You know, not doing stupid stuff like that. <laughs> Do you remember? Yeah, and on that play. Like I don't know if you if you went back and watched it, but 
Brendan Nelson's play on that interception was incredible because when the guy, when the, I can't remember the running back's name or the wide receiver, but when he took the ball back and he just finally decided he was going to throw it, Brendan Nelson was still at the line of scrimmage and he turned around and hauled backwards and caught it seven or eight yards past the original line of scrimmage. Um, that was, I don't think, I, th- I think it was Blunt who was behind him or it was either, there was another safety or a cornerback behind the receiver. Yeah. Needless um, to say, it was a poor. Decision. He wouldn't have picked it. Like it wasn't a terrible throw. Like if yeah. you think about it, so you're from that guy's perspective. He certainly he didn't think open. that Nelson was in play when he threw yeah. the ball. Yeah. It, so it was a heck of a play, but just a boneheaded call. Also, another thing on that play that I didn't even notice until I rewatched the game, UVA is kind of lucky that they didn't get hit with like some sort of like roughing penalty. I know that's not it wouldn't be roughing the passer, but he got absolutely blown up after he threw the ball. Yeah, if he was a quarterback. I, I think it was by Mandy Alonso or somebody. Yeah. He just got blown up. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> like they, They're lucky that they didn't get called for that. I mean, because that would have been pretty backbreaking. But I think you, I'm glad you mentioned be that also because. Targeting. Yeah, yeah. Or like unnecessary roughness or something. Um, but I mean, yeah, because I guess the play was still going. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned Nelson because it was good to see him after he missed half of last season come back and have two picks because. You know, you forget, like, in that freshman season where he had rookie, got rookie of the year, he had, like, four or five picks. He was, like, turning people over a lot. So it would be good to see him be able to kind of start doing that again, you know, this season now that he's back in a comfortable position for him. All right, let's, uh, let's transition over to this week. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, Clemson's pretty good. <laughs> hashtag understatement. Hashtag analysis. Um I don't think that it, it, it it's in our best interest to try to pretend like this is a game not necess- I'm not gonna say that Virginia can win. Anybody can beat anybody. But that like to pretend that like these two teams are in the same sort of league or ballpark. I mean technically in the same conference, but um where Clemson is right now, and Bronco talked about this, like the idea of, you know, reloading, right? Like that's a real that's a genuine thing. Um Clemson, you know, they're maybe they're young at wide receiver, but pretty much everywhere else, there's a whole lot of talent back from a team that beat the snot out of them last year. Now, granted, UVA's in a little bit better place in some respects, worse in some others, um, and obviously still trying to figure it out. Um, I guess I want to start this conversation about Clemson. What does success look like this weekend, Dave, to you? What is, like, obviously if they won the game and beat the number one team in the country and threw everything into turmoil. For the team or me? For, well, I, I just mean for the program, right? For for, for UVA, yeah. like for, for this week, to you, if X happens, that's success. What what do you what do you feel like success is for this team this weekend? It's so early. Like, I mean, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I don't want to get run off the field, but I guess not the end of the world if you do, because Clemson does that often. Um, and, and I don't want to cop out and say, you know, come out healthy either. Uh, I mean, I. I don't think it's a negative if you go blown out by Clemson at all. Um, success, if it's interesting going into the fourth quarter, you've done something. Cause this Clemson team's really good, and that's possible. I mean, this Clemson team's really good, and I'm no, I know we'll talk more, but I mean, essentially their starters have only played three quarters this season, um, three and a half maybe. But um, so it's they're they're not exactly as sharp as they could be, but. Are so good i don't know if it matters um but yeah i just say if it's closing the fourth quarter that's success but me as a fan like if it's just if there's a you know 
it's three, two or two-ish, three scores <laughs> going into the fourth quarter, I'm probably happy after sitting. Like, we all saw them in person in Charlotte, and there are some things you see on TV and impress them. Some things you see in person, you're like, oh, my goodness. Like, Florida State in the mid-'90s, seeing them in person was like, oh, that's what that looks like. Um, seeing Clemson and Charlotte last year, I'm sure, was the same for you guys as it was for me. It's just next level. Um, and they look like they're – I don't know if their defense is as good as last year, but their offense might be better um, just you know, with Etienne and, and Lawrence back. So, yeah, just keep it close. Uh, look, uh, Virginia would have to play a perfect game and maybe still need a break or two to win, and that's not a slight on them. It's just – even Snowden said it on the uh, Snowden was a guest on the coaches show last night, and he said, you know, we. I, I don't want to. I don't have the exact quote, but he basically said, you know, I thought we played power five. You know, we played ACC football. We won the coastal power five team. I thought we were pretty good, and then we played Clemson, and I realized there's a whole new level out there. So, you know, I think they realize it too. Um, sure, they do, but you know, it's. I, I don't know how you win, how you beat them without some luck um again not a slight on our players they're just really good Ferber, what do you think does what does success look like this weekend for uva yeah i mean i was kind of going to go the same direction that dave just went which is and i was going to set the bar lower i was going to say if it's a game at halftime you've done something and i really believe that um i i've watched uh, every play that their starters have made this year which isn't that many um in preparations for the preview and they're, uh, you know, it's like, oh, man, look at all these guys they lost. You watch the NFL draft, you're like, man, this team lost a lot of guys. Um, you know, T. Higgins is gone, and Justin Ross is out for the season, and Isaiah Simmons is gone, and all those DBs they had that are gone are gone. And, you know, it's like, how, what are they going to do? And it's like you watch them, and you're like, man, this team might even be better. It's crazy. Like, I mean, th- I think for UVA, you have to recalibrate your expectations and understand that um, – Obviously, you go in to win every game, and you try. But, I mean, you you don't want to walk out of that stadium having thought that if you lose by 40 that you're terrible now because almost everybody's going to lose to Clemson by that many points. Um, the weight game, I mean, you look at the score, and you'd be like, oh, they held them to 37-13. And it's like, I can tell you, I watched that game. Clemson stopped trying when it was 37 to nothing or whatever it was. Like it was, they, they basically were like, okay, we're done here and, and got off the field. Um, and, and you could see something similar to that against UVA, but I think if UVA's defense can show up and get off the field a few times, which they really struggled to do in the ACC championship game, Clemson just got on them every time they got the ball pretty much for until halftime. And, and that's why the score was what it was. I think if they can get some stops, I don't expect the offense to really light it up or anything, but if they could keep it to like a reasonable score at halftime and into the second half and make Trevor Lawrence come out and play a fourth quarter, I think that in itself is a is is encouraging for me. It might not be a win for them because I know they want to go in and try to win, but um you know, I think that that would show me that this team is, you know, competitive at least and I want to see them kind of learn some lessons. And I'm talking about the coaches too from the game in Charlotte last year because, I mean, the coaches kind of said we we tried some stuff that we probably shouldn't have tried or, or we approached the game not the way that we maybe could have to give, in ourselves, to give the players the best chance to win after, you know, they lost 62-17. to 17. And you really, like a month later or less than a month later, you saw them come out and play a much more competitive game against another really good team in Florida who's not quite on that level but very good. Um, 
I think probably one of the best teams in the country this year with a similar roster. So, I mean, I think that that has to be encouraging that they, you know, they went from that game and then came back and played another team close. Um, maybe that gives them some confidence going down there this weekend. But yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is just, just show some fight and, tr- and try to try to make Clemson earn it instead of just, you know, making mistakes to beat yourself, trying too hard, pressing, trying to be perfect. Just go out and play the best you can and, and try to make Clemson have to play four quarters to beat you. I keep thinking about um, sort of the trajectory of the season, right? In any other year, we would never worry about another game, right? We would, we would know, okay, they're going to play Clemson and then this and then this and then this, right? But everything in this year is tempered with some sort of um, – you know, potential for disaster, right? Um, you know, you play a game, that's great. In- instantly you're worried about, you know, what the test will be afterwards. You're worried about, you know, um, what Monday's test and you're worried about, you know, any news. And it's, it's, it's just, it, it's, it changes the complex, com- the complexity or complexion of this, uh, of the season in such a dramatic way that like the idea of what, what success is, you know what I mean? Like the idea of, of you know being being good or being consistently good or how you learn things about yourself because you don't know what's going to happen game to game so in essence to me the question is is somewhat um (laughs) the, the question is somewhat ridiculous but the reason i ask it is because i think that that is sort of i don't know man i think it's almost sort of normal right um it's it it, there's a there's a normality that comes with uh trying to figure out who a team is and who they're not and when you play against a really good team right when you play against a team this good nothing that you play from that point forward will be anything close to that right they might play a good quarterback Sam Howell right but he's not going to be Trevor Lawrence right skill position guys whatever doesn't matter nobody's going to be Clemson and I do think that one of the reasons UVA was able to be um as competitive or in and in times you know looking like they might win that Florida game was because of the experience that they had against Clemson. I, I, I don't think that there's any doubt about that. And so for me, success this weekend is really more about one, what do they even have? Like what, what do they get to do this season? Um, you can't really, you can't really know what success is like in this game without knowing that too. But the bottom line is they need to get better. And, and I think that one of the points I think was Ferber just made about the coaches mentioning Last year, they, they, did, they basically made some, some bad decisions in game prep. And I've heard several different coaches at various times throughout this long preseason talk about um, wanting, to, wanting to get basically every ounce that they could out of the preparation time that they had and how, far, how like much further along they were than at any point ever, right? And, how, you know, and this is a game that you know, has been on the schedule since the new schedule came out at least, but it's been there, right? Like there's no moving the thing around, you know, like they know where this one was. Now, if, you, if you're if you a UVA fan and you want like a, a ray of hope, that's the, that's the ray of hope, that these guys have, have, have done everything they can to learn from the mistakes that they literally, you know, in football terms just made, even though that was nine months ago. Um, but at the same token, I think you're, you're looking forward to um, the opportunity to, to sort of see how you match up. You're not going to beat Clemson because... Clemson made a whole bunch of mistakes. Like Trevor Lawrence, they don't make mistakes, right? They might make one or two, and you would sure as heck have to capitalize on them. But you're not going to beat them because they beat themselves. The the way you're going to do it is you're just going to have to really execute, and you're going to have to do everything 
possible to execute at such a high level that then when the breaks happen, they go your way and it's just enough. And for me, success in this weekend is really about getting better, right? Learning more about Brendan Armstrong as a quarterback. I do think they're going to play with some pace. I think the fact that they played with pace against Clemson is a good indicator that they're going to do it again. And I think that, you know, as this team develops and if, you know, if a season actually happens and these games do get played, I, I think one consistent thing you're going to see after this game is going to be that they were able to take some steps forward, even if they get the, sh- you know, what kicked out of them, right? Like, I mean, I think that's, that's fair. I mean, it's so weird to say like, oh, they had some good moments, um, but then, you know, got the crap kicked out of them and it helped them against Florida. And you look at the score and you're like, oh, you know what I mean? Like that thing, that thing got out of hand in a hurry. And yet I do think it helped them um, significantly. If nothing else, it opened the kids' eyes to just, you know, how far along they weren't, right? Like, they might have thought they were one thing, and they just weren't. Um, so, to me, success this weekend is, it, it, yeah, they win the game, sure. But overall, I think it's just about, you know, it's not about the score. It's not about, like, even being in it at halftime. It's about can you get better from this experience. And I know that that sounds like a cliche and it sounds like a cop-out, but I, I genuinely think that that's the, that's the only way um, to answer the question. But, all right, let's get into – some prediction stuff. Um, who wants to go first? Which one of y'all wants to go first? Don't everybody speak up. I'll once. take it. All right, Ferber in the preseason, he had Virginia losing this game 45-17 to 17 with a 10% chance to win. What say you now? I think I had a 1% chance. Um, That's correct. It was 1%. Brad's handwriting yeah. is horrible. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to keep the score. I think that's about right. Um I think, you know, it, it, Clemson, once the ball gets rolling, it's just hard to, to kind of get that train off the tracks. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think they have a better than a 1% chance, but it's it's not very high, 5, 10. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is this is what happens when pretty much everybody plays them. So, no harm done. <laughs> All right, Dave, in the preseason, uh, you had Clemson winning this game 41-17. to 17. Um I think that's a seven to nine percent chance, or maybe a seven percent chance. I'm not real sure. Seven percent sounds yeah. right. Uh, what say you now? Yeah, I'm gonna. I'll keep the score the same. It's too early to start changing them up. Um, I do. Maybe I think it might be a little closer than I expected. Um, if Virginia has one thing going for him, it's the Clemson they face was Clemson who needed to beat us to get to the college football playoff. Um, and it was imminent. They were wearing the championship britches. Um, this Clemson team is playing Miami next week, so there's a chance they might call off the dogs a little early. Um, you know, get a comfortable lead, call off the dogs, and Virginia can kind of come back and make it look a little more respectable than it actually was. But, uh, yeah, I'll keep it the same. But just as an aside, like um, – their running game is scary. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence. Uh, when, yeah. <laughs> when I watch the weight thing, and when Trevor Lawrence pulls the ball, it doesn't matter how fast he can run. No one's with him. Um, so. And oh yeah, I dare you to not put everyone on ETN. <laughs> and see yes. What like, I would almost rather just isolate to try to stop ETN and Lawrence from running, and just let them take shots down the field because I think that's the only way you've got a chance is that they miss passes, which he doesn't do. All right, it, me in the preseason. Um, let's see, I had it thirty-five to twenty. Um, I feel like twenty is a lot of points, but I, I think Dave's, now that would be that would be a win in my book. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that was, you know, this is also the time Dave said just a second ago. He's like, "Well, I'm not. It's too early to start changing things." I'm like, "Well, I'm gonna change some stuff because I I think I thought 
not necessarily the offense would be better. Um, I thought that they would have a better feel of like what their identity should be. So hearing Robert and I today talk about, you know, got to wait for the identity. Um, that that for me was, I guess that's one place where I I need to adjust my expectations at least for the early season, right? If there's a, a longer part of the season, I could see it being better. Uh, you know, there's so much attention on Virginia's offense, and understandably so. But man, I thought I thought one of the things that stood out to me about the defense was you never really got the sense, and maybe this is because Chase Bryce is Chase Bryce, no 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 uh, no shade, but. You never really got the sense they were in any real peril, even when Duke started hitting a few, you know, big plays. Um, and then at the same time, you look at this game, you're like, man, Trevor Lawrence is an absolute like his precision is just nuts. And so I do think that Virginia's going to have to, you know, in 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 this game, they if they're going to have success, it's not going to be because they're blowing up the backfield. Like it's going to have to be um, much more traditional, so to speak, than that. You're just not going to out athlete these dudes the way Virginia can sometimes out athlete people on the edges. Um, and then, you know, realistically, like that, that, that issue that Virginia had in the middle, man, you can bet Clemson's going to eat all day if you don't fix that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, they have better tight ends this year, too. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's just, it's just really difficult. <laughs> it's really difficult to think about, like, where's Clemson's weaknesses, right? Um, and really all you're doing in essence is you're kind of comparing them to last year, but then you, you still need to compare them, you know, to you. Right. Um, I, I just see, I, I think 20 is a lot of points. So I'm, I am going to change that and say, um, I'm going to say 35 to, to 13 or 17, something like that. Um, I could totally see Virginia getting a late score, maybe getting to that 20, but, um, and again, I, I don't, to me, you know, and, and I don't say this just because Clemson is so good, but I mean, I'm, I'm a realist. The score doesn't necessarily matter, right? Um, I didn't feel horrible coming out of the ACC championship just, you know, because they thumped them. Um, you know, I, I thought that they'd play better. Um, and then they did against Florida. Um, but then again, Florida's not Clemson. And nobody is. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think Virginia's going to take one on the chin. Um, but, I, but I do think that ultimately the, the, how well they do at whatever it is they do, even if they get the crap kicked out of them, that is in many ways more important than just, you know, winning the game, so to speak. Um, all right, let's get – where's zombie season? <laughs> uh, zombie I season, actually, I believe we're 2-2. I, two two. I think they just played Clemson in the zombie season. That's true, season, in the zombie right? season, they just yeah. lost at Clemson. Okay, um, so they're 2-3. and three. And they're getting ready to face <laughs> North Carolina at home. Um, Ooh, big game. Yeah, big game. Um I would probably pick Virginia in that game. Um, oh, 100%. But, I did in the preseason. No, that's true. You did. Um, and then I guess we, we – Man, don't... that's not a great – that's not a great back-to-back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we talked ourselves into it when the original schedule came out, but that's not – Yeah, that's yeah, not yeah that was rough. Um, I mean, you'd be looking at what? Georgia – what was it? Georgia, VMI, UConn, mm-hmm. Clemson. Mm-hmm. So that's two and two. The Two and two going into the – Carolina game against a yeah. I mean, the Carolina team. game is like the fulcrum of the season because yeah. it would have been like you know when you find out where you are because you know you're better than UConn and BMI and worse than Georgia and Clemson. So, yeah. so then, I mean, yeah, where they, are they would have gotten Carolina this weekend and then they get a they would have gotten a bye week and then they would have been at Georgia Tech and then at Old Dominion and then would have been Halloween before they'd come home from Miami. So I do well, think by the time you got to Halloween, you would know a lot, you know. Yeah, and it's funny, too, because now they're kind of in a similar spot, I think. I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, yeah. but, I mean, so you had Duke. 
Duke's 0-3. Uh, I mean, they're not uncompetitive bad, but they're not good. Um, then you have Clemson, the best team in the, in the country probably. Um, and then you have next week NC State, who they have a win, but nobody knows if Wake, who they beat, is any good. And then you get Wake. So it's like you could have another situation where it's like you don't really know who you are until game five because we don't really – I mean, UVA could beat those next two teams and and we really don't know how good they are because those other – you know, NC State, Duke, and Wake might all be bad. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I'd much prefer to be three and one and on who we are than two and Yeah, yeah. And I think being (laughs) – well, I think being three and one, if if you want to take something away from that, it would be – it would mean that you took care of business, which is not always easy to do. Yeah. And maybe that's something we didn't – before we close it, maybe that's something we didn't talk about enough with the Duke game because Bronco brought it up on on the coaches' show. Like, um, I think maybe Dave did, but anyway, you know, coming out having having not played for ever and getting down ten nothing, and I didn't sense it. I didn't panic. No, and, like that was different, and I didn't realize it till he mentioned it. Like, I mean, if you'd have given me a Virginia team down ten nothing to Duke, I'd have been really were i mean i was worried because that's what i do but it wasn't panicked like it would have been three or four years ago and bronco said you know hopefully that's a sign of a culture change that's what we've been talking about like the guys even when they got down you know they were down going in the fourth quarter they he sensed that they just knew they were going to get it done um and there's a lot of virginia teams that couldn't do that so yeah, I actually thought the same thing. Like at the ga- during the game when they went down and scored to make it ten to seven, I was like, okay, they're fine. Like no worries. Like they'll be okay. They'll win this game. Yeah. Um, now, I mean, obviously you don't want to be down ten nothing, but yeah, it didn't feel like it. well, just just the opening kickoff, right? I mean, like that happens to anybody. Like fumbles happen, right? You lose the opening kickoff. Even when that happened, I was like, well, still sixty minutes to play. If that had happened six, seven years ago, I would have been like, well, that is just emblematic of how this entire season is going to go. <laughs> you know, like, go it would have felt State. like a, it would have felt like a six, much right? bigger deal at, at that time. Yeah. yeah. Boise State pick six, like that won the game for them. Right. First play of the game. You're right. Yeah. I didn't feel like that. I was like, UVA will probably hold them a three here. Like, that's how I felt. About <laughs> it, yeah. So. Did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And that that is progress. I mean, if you think about that tech game last year, how many back and forths they had to go through to win that game. Like, yeah, you kind of once you do some stuff like that, it's like, all right, you know, they can they've been through it. They know they know what games can be like and how up and down they can be. Yeah. Um, before we wrap up real quick, um, let's talk about just the weirdness of Saturday. I mean, I know for oh, me, man, I was hoping you wouldn't. No, it's it's it, we got to, uh, and we and I think the fact that we didn't lead it off is probably. The, I mean, I meant to do it, and then I like I don't know, I got I had a momentary lapse of reason or something, but um, I think we have to. As a as a media person, right? You grow accustomed to what every game feel. Every game has a similar feeling, at least in some respects, right? And it's though it's the times when they don't feel the same is when you know something's up, right? And maybe it's an energy, maybe it's you know, man, those lots are especially full, you know, that kind of thing. Drive yeah, like when you when you when the basketball team got good, it was <laughs> like, oh, this isn't like how it used to be. Anymore. Right, exactly. Like, um, yeah. Driving to Charlottesville, no traffic was weird. Um, getting off the exit, there was no you know no cones, you know. Um, Alderman was. Don't say it. Empty. What? What? Say what? 
about the uh, about don't say anything about dropping my tailgate spot. I can't uh, take it. All right. Well, I won't say anything. I mean, in hindsight, as I I sent you that picture, I was like, I probably shouldn't have done that, but. I just I don't know. Yeah. I've, I, well, at least you know it's safe. <laughs> yeah, you still know it's there. Um, but the weirdest thing, yeah. the weirdest thing, dude, was you driving through. And I mean, I've been in Charlottesville in the middle of the day on like a random, you know, Monday, like after a press conference or something, right? And that's what it felt like. Except the closer you got to the stadium, you could hear the PA. And then as I parked at the stadium, one just really weird to park in you know South Lot or whatever. But then like. Just being next to the stadium, it felt like in there everything was normal, but nothing else seemed normal. And then going into the stadium, everything on the field felt normal, but everything else felt weird. Um, I thought that I, I don't know how much it came over on TV because I know TV was probably using its own crowd noise or something. And I haven't actually watched the game again. Um, but like in the stadium during intros, they used some fake crowd noise. And when they introduced Charles Snowden, as you would expect, the real crowd would have gone crazy. But when they introduced Charles Snowden, it was like four orders of magnitude louder than it was for anybody else. And that was the it only was time. It was like Tony Bennett. <laughs> yeah, it was like the, the Tony Bennett pop, you know, when, when he walks in. It was like that. Um, and it was like, oh, wow, that actually kind of hurt. Like, because it was just so not normal, right? And I don't know if they if they did that and were like, all right, we got to stop using this. Or if they just didn't plan to. I mean, there was plenty of music. Um, they kept, they kept playing the intro to the podcast of, you know, props to the, I, 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 I personally assume that, uh, whoever in, is involved in, in choosing those things listens to the podcast and that was a homage. So you're very, you're very welcome. Thank you. For that, they for played that. the song. Oh yeah. They played the fire. Yeah. By the roots <laughs> yeah. over and over and over again, man. It was like, it was like a, it's like a staple of Scott stadium this season. I think, um, well, any- I'll never know. <laughs> um, well, that, <laughs> which right, is so, fine actually but so that's yeah, a that's another point like I, I was sitting by myself you know wearing a mask six feet from people right i mean normally the press box area is like crammed right you're just kind of on top of each other and it means like eight of us <laughs> ten of us right and you know it and then we did you know we do zoom calls from the press box instead of going down so like at the end of the game there was no like you know, should I should I watch the last few minutes up here? Should I try to stay? You know, should I try to go down there? You know, there was none of that. It was just the entire the entire experience from beginning to when I got back to Richmond was just completely surreal. Everything about it. And I don't know. I'm curious to hear from you guys what it was like to watch it on TV. Um, and, you know, sort of you know, even if you couldn't see the stadium was empty to know it was. Dave, let's start with you. What was the experience like watching this thing on Saturday? I mean, pregame was weird because, like, I tried to distract myself from the fact that, you know, the game was being played in Charlottesville. Um, just kept myself busy until about two o'clock, and then got the TV set up and, you know, got settled in. Um, once the game started, like watching other games, not having crowds there is really weird to me. But surprisingly, with UVA playing, because I'm, you know, emotionally invested, it didn't bother me that much, and. Uh, a few, you know, the 800 Virginia fans were there, you know, 200 Duke fans, whatever it was. The 800 Virginia fans were pretty loud at, at, at appropriate times. Um, I was under control um, just because I had to be. But overall, the game experience for itself wasn't as weird as I thought it would be watching on TV just because, like I said, I was emotionally invested in the team. But, man, like that tail- tailgate picture you sent me pregame, that, that I was like, man, this sucks. Like, you know, it's, it's football is one thing. 
But I, you know, I didn't go year after year during the bad years because of the football. It, you know, just the football. <laughs> it was, you know, it, it's the guys and, and tailgating and all that stuff. And I just kind of really kind of hit. That's when it hit home. Um, you know, that's probably not going to happen the rest of this year. So that side, that side sucks. It's going to suck for a while. So it'll probably take three or four more games for him over that. Um, but yeah, the, the game. I didn't think the game watching experience was that bad. Um, I'd much rather have fans there, but if the fans were there, I would have been there. So that's a little weird. <laughs> what about you, Ferber? Yeah, same. I mean, I, I kind of said it last week because, um, I mean, I've, I've watched enough sports now without fans. I mean, like while we're recording this, I have the NBA Finals on, which I'm sure Brad does as well. Um, and, you know, like you get used to it. And I think, what Dave said is what I said last week. When you have an emo- emotional investment or you care about what's actually happening in the game, and it's not just in the on in the background or like you're casually watching, the crowd the sh- stuff isn't as big of a deal or noticeable because you're so caught up in the plays. So the game was the most normal part. Um, everything that happened on the field felt like a regular UVA game to me. Obviously, you know it's a little different. But it didn't feel like it was like a not a real game or something like that. It felt like a real game to me. I'm sure the atmosphere didn't feel like a real game. But um, and what Dave said is right. What's missing is the, you know, for fans that go as fans, me and Brad are in the press box. Like that's what's missing is like the the pregame stuff and being there and driving to Charlottesville and all that stuff. And it was weird watching a home game on TV because I don't miss many. But I mean. It, it it still felt like a, the same product to me. Um, obviously, we're lucky that we have it at all um, this year. But, I mean, it, it's going to take some getting used to. But I think when you have emotional investment in the game, it, it, the the crowd is, is definitely a factor. But it's not like the, what's happening on the on the field or the court or whatever is, is what you're actually focusing on. So it helps kind of take away that distraction of it being a little different. But I mean, even like NFL games now, I'm kind of just used to there not being fans. And it's weird when they show the wide shot with empty seats. But at the end of the day, like it still feels like an NFL game or a college football game. Yeah. Um, and this weekend is probably going to be the biggest crowd Jimmy plays in front of, you know, unless things change. Yeah. 19,000. Yeah, almost tw- almost twenty. Yeah, I think it's nineteen and change. Um, tickets available on Subway for thirty eight bucks. Uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> you can't you can't get COVID uh, vertically or whatever. And in, in, uh, yeah, evidently in the de- in Death Valley, if you've seen that <laughs> picture on Twitter. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess Clemson will have fans. But even then, like, I don't really think. I mean, obviously, nineteen thousand is is definitely more of an issue than than nothing. Or but. When I watch those games, I sometimes forget that there are people there. And it's like, oh, yeah, they have fans. Like the Jaguars game the other day. They have fans at their home games. And it's like you forget they're there because you're getting used to, like, the fake crowd noise. And it's still not loud, even with, like, 10,000 people. So it's like it's not like that's going to affect the game that much. Um, yeah, having, having been to Virginia games when the, when the stands weren't packed, which, you know, spoiler alert, that's been a few years, um, there is a – not to take this thing off the rails an hour and whatever into it, but um, <clears throat> there is this like weird crowd dynamic, right? Like I think you can have a crowd of 20,000 people and they're loud, but they've all got to be packed on top of each other. When you spread people out and they've got to be loud and they're allowed away from people who can turn and look at them, they don't get as loud as they normally do, which is, you know, unless they've been drinking a lot. 
Yeah, it almost <laughs> feels like when you're watching it, when there is a crowd, like this, some of the NFL stadiums have crowds, some of the college stadiums, it feels like they're watching it from like outside the stadium or something. Yeah. Like on a delay. It just lo- it seems weird because you don't really hear the noise and it just seems like everything's sort of like a weird react. It doesn't feel like a loud reaction. The only exception I would say was the Chiefs' first game against Houston. I was like, oh, wow, their crowd's kind of loud. Um, but, I mean, I think that like – there is a momentum effect on the home team, I think, where it's like you kind of get the cheers after every good play, kind of, you know, boosts you going forward and, and kind of maybe can get you to play a little better. But I don't think it's going to affect, like, Brendan Armstrong trying to call the plays or anything like that, like no, in, no. in a normal game. I, don't I also want to state real quick that Brendan Armstrong has the loudest clap ever. Yeah, I guess he does. <laughs> that came through on TV. Like, dude, easy. Um one thing I was thinking about. He's also got a he's got a mouthpiece thing. He doesn't put his mouthpiece on in pass plays. Um, <clears throat> trust me, I don't, I'm not giving Clemson anything shh. I didn't see. <laughs> <laughs> For what? Shh. I should make that the uh, the 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 title of the episode. Just shh. Am I wrong there, Ferber? Like it was a lot of plays. He the mouthpiece was on the helmet. It was a quick pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would, I, I would have to go back and look. I wasn't tracking that in my notes. Um, <laughs> For who's like, I have a lot of fish in the fire. I have to redo everything. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that sometimes that is a thing I've noticed with other quarterbacks, though, where they like yeah. they know they're not going to get hit, or it's a handoff, right? So yep. like, they know they're not going to get hit, so they just don't put it in. I have a. Um, uh, I have there a was a thing with like John Elway back in the day, where like when he would run the ball or something, he would like he would like rub his hands together, and people yes. like figured it out. <laughs> And so it was like people figured out that there was like a tendency there. And that was back before film was as big of a deal as it is now. But like the the tendency was found. Hopefully you didn't break a tendency on the podcast. No, maybe I did. And the whole purpose if Brent Venables is listening Clemson. to this at the hour mark. That's pretty that's impressive. impressive. All right. Speaking of that, Brennan's got mark, two, two mouthpieces next week. <laughs> um, I would like to, I have a hot take. I have a, I don't know. Well, maybe it's not a hot take. I, actually, now that I think about it, I might have actually said this on the pod before. So now I'm going to I'm going to uh, leave open the possibility that this is a rehashed hot take. Um, listen, I am certainly I love, you know, I, I'm not against like fans being at games. OK, don't get me wrong. But I really well, if I'm watching gonna say no fans so you can park at the stadium. <laughs> no, no, that was that was so surreal. Not having it. Yeah, that was weird. No, no. My my hot take is this. If I'm watching a game on TV, I don't need to see the fans. And I actually, I really, one of the one of my problems with recent year broadcasts of games is like how much time we have to watch people in the stands. Now, I'm all about those people being there, and I'm glad that they're having a good time, and I'm, I don't need to see them, ever. Like, I never need to see them, ever. And one of the things that's been really nice about not having fans is that I don't have, like I'm watching the finals or I'm watching the playoffs or whatever. I'm not, I'm not, I don't need to worry about who these people in the stands behind the basket. I'm just watching the basketball and I get to see more reaction from the actual players. Oh, by the way, the thing I'm tuning in to see, right? I don't know what it is about TV people and their fascination with like showing me crowd shots, but I could not care less. Like, I love that people are there. Be loud, impact the game, do your thing, right? I don't need to see you. I don't need to, I don't, I don't need to, and I, I surely don't need to see you when I could be watching a replay, right? Like, show me the game, show me the players, show me the coaches, the interactions, give me all that. I don't need to see the people. So, in yeah. some ways, for me, like, this has actually been much better because, like, I don't have to worry about wasting my time with these things that, like, I don't, it, who cares? 
Like, you're going to come back from commercial and show something cool, but, like, when the game's being played, show me the game. That's all I need. Yeah, I don't think you're really wrong about that on TV. I mean, it, it's got to be different for you, like, in the press box, just because, like, there's no atmosphere. But, I mean, like, on TV, definitely. It, and that's why I think it translates, and that's why I think it sucks for college football, I think, is one of the biggest sports kind of hurt by this because going to games and tailgating and the atmosphere and everything is such a big part of it um, compared to the NFL, which is more sterile, I would say. Um, But I mean, I think that like when you're watching on TV, I mean, like I'm watching Brendan Armstrong throw the ball around. Like it doesn't feel like I I forget that there are fans or aren't fans like in, in the, in the middle of the game, like, you know, it doesn't, it counts, right? So, I mean, it, it didn't, like, those Lavelle Davis catches didn't feel any worse because there weren't any people there. <laughs> no, but it would have been, like, you're right. I mean, I, I don't need to see the crowd as much as they show them during the game, but after a touchdown, like, I would like to see a crowd reaction shot to Lavelle da- either one of Lavelle Davis's touchdowns. Yeah. Because you and know it, Well, it sucks, crazy. too, when you're somebody that goes, right? I mean, like, you're thinking, like, man, I wish I was there, right? right but, yeah, yeah. But that's a good point, But Dave. I do let think me, it adds me, atmosphere. Like, yeah, no, when, I feel when, song, when there's songs and chants and that kind of stuff. Okay, Like, it's nice fair. to see a flash. Fair. Let me edit a little bit of what I said, right? Let me retract part of it. After plays, like, celebratory stuff, yes, right? But in between plays... Like I don't need a, a quick cut to the, to to the to section three hundred three, you know what I'm saying? Like I don't need like that's what I'm talking about. Like after guys score or you know or when there's like a um you know a, a big play that you know there's like a change in possession or something like that, you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. that makes sense. But like in the middle of the game, show me the game. Um, and maybe maybe I'm you know maybe I'm off base and I'm gonna get you know, no. I would say. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, most of the, I do think most of the time you see the crowd in game, it's 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 reaction shots. It's a thirty to ten game in the fourth quarter, and Brent Musburger is trying to oogle someone's girlfriend. <laughs> um, but yeah, <laughs> but 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 what's been interesting yeah, to me is like watching college it, football. Yeah, I think it's different. Yeah, watching it, watching games just in general, and not having to worry about it at all. I do feel like I'm in the game the whole time. And that's actually been a much more enjoyable experience for me. Now, that's also like, I mean, listen, I, I, I go and I sit in a, you know, born old press box, right? Like, I'm, I'm not there for the, you know, like the atmosphere is a, is, a, is, a, is a part of the story of the game to me, not a thing I go for, right? Um, so I understand that, like, maybe for, maybe I'm just broken, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe for me, like, games are, you know what I'm saying? Maybe I need, uh, I need less of the of the thing that a whole lot of people love, and if so, that's you know I apologize for being broken, but I don't know. Just it it, it, it it watching college football and certainly watching you know the NBA and stuff. It's been it's been impossible for me not to notice, and I'm really curious on Saturday when I can't be there what it, what I'll think. Right now there will be fans there, so maybe I'm going to be frustrated because I'm going to have to watch more crowd shots. Um, but and maybe this is going to be one of those games where. You know, you're trying to fill some air, but um, you know, all in all, I will say, yeah, I will say the only frustration I had Saturday it wasn't doing no crowd there. Like that was more sadness and frustration. Um, but you know, I'll take football over and no crowd versus no football. Um, What's going to be, I would say my my biggest frustration was poor production quality. <laughs> oh my god, I'm god, so glad so you bad. brought that up because it was so bad. Right. If you haven't watched the replay, Brad, like anything that happened on the Virginia side of the field, they zoomed in too. You far. couldn't see it. So if until they changed camera angles, like when they threw the ball to Davis on along that sideline, when him and Jana kind of ran 
well, I guess Davis probably ran the wrong Davis route. Ran the wrong route. <laughs> you couldn't see where the ball was going until they changed cameras, because uh, he just disappeared. Like, oh, wow, there's two people down there. There were, there were a few plays. Jenna. So there were a few plays when I was doing this the, re- the review. I didn't, you know, like live. I'm not really paying attention to like who's lined up where all the time. I don't notice every player. But there was one play in particular, and I used the GIF. Right. So Brad, you probably know which one I'm talking about. There was like a sit down route to Jana, which was like 15 yards down the field. And it was like a nice throw right in the middle of the field. The reason he was so open is because Lavelle Davis cleared out for him and like went deep and cleared out the defense and and let him get that open space. But I couldn't put that in the gif because the camera was too zoomed in and you don't (laughs) even see him on the field because they don't even show him. He's like he's on the field and you don't even see him because they're, they're zoomed like so far into the middle of the field. So annoying. Their first throw he had to, to Davis early in the game was like a fade down the near sideline. I think it was the first drive they had, um, and it was incomplete. And it was like you didn't even see the throw, or you didn't see like where the ball landed or <laughs> yes, the catch or yeah. anything. Yes, I was like, I remember what the hell is yeah. going on? <laughs> and it was Who was he throwing like, that ball to? This is a good place to mention, and and I'm I'm pretty sure I'm I'm right about this, but I'm pretty sure that ESPN's not sending their people, so that every school is basically producing all of these things. Yes. Um, and it, well, they got some work to do. He's going to say it probably shows. Now, to be fair, to be fair, um, let's see how it is for game for the second game that they do, right? For then the first, I mean, you know, realistically. Um, well, there was another problem too because the ACC network and uh, the ESPN Chiron were like the bottom 30% uh, yeah. of the screen. Yeah. So, so that yeah. didn't help. And that's Maybe probably why they the had such the problems screen. because yeah. they didn't realize how much was cut off. Yeah, the like score the bug bottom. the score the score bug has been really inconsistent for a lot of these games. Um and well, I like think, right now I'm watching the NBA finals and the score bug is pretty big, but there's no ticker underneath. Right. Yeah, the tick, so like the, you know, yeah. it's, it's not taking up the whole screen. Yeah, well that now that's a whole separate podcast, my anger at tickers. Like I don't need to know. <laughs> Like, you know, I have like in the I'm days phones now, <laughs> exactly. And there were days, there was a time, a, a day of yesteryear, right? When a ticker at the bottom of the screen me. telling me all the, you know, like it used to come over on at 28 and 58 yeah, every hour. But, but what my, but, but what I love is like, if you're watching a game and there's like, heaven forbid, there's like a NASCAR race and they'll scroll like who, where the people are on laps, <laughs> such and such. Or right. And I'm like. Guys, if if people really care about that much, they wouldn't be watching this game. And if they were watching this game, they'd have that on their phone. Like we, it's like it's like it's like they they don't think that like you can get any information. And I understand like for them, it's like oh we got to give it to you, right? But I'm like no no, you're the place where I can go to watch the game, make the game better. Like it's I don't like, need do this you other want stuff. me to change the channel, right? Is exactly. that what you're trying to? If get you me want to me do? to go watch this other thing on the scroll, I guess I'll go watch it. But I mean, it's just yeah, the fact that we lose a certain percentage of this of the of the picture of the screen of the game, right? To information that literally I couldn't care less about, um, it, it, they will never not blow my mind. You know, like if you want to you want to use that space and run an ad, okay, that I make that I know I I get that, right? Yeah. Um, but no, I don't need you to tell me that. Um, you know, such and such and such happened while Clemson's beating the crap out of UVA. Yeah, I mean, if you want to go back and look at the gifts I cut for for this film room, there's a bunch of chirons and tickers and stuff in those because I had no choice. Yeah. Um. But yeah, they need to get that straight because that was ridiculous. <laughs> and it was only on the near sideline, so it was the bottom of the screen. So I think a lot of the ticker stuff was what was causing the problem. If you are somebody who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is that programs are delivered. I was going to say sold, but podcasts are free. Um, We should be there, and if we're not, uh, let me know because I would like to make sure that we are. 
Um, now, if you're somebody who found the pod, hasn't given us a look yet, check us out the website, CavsCorner.com. Right now, you can read Ferber's Opus. I've used that joke like a hundred times, but this is legitimately like the best thing he's ever written. Um, so definitely give that a look. Um, that film room set the standard, no pun intended, um, for what you should expect this, this season. Um, was on a, on the Zoom this morning, I guess that was morning, right? With uh, Robert and I and, and Nick Howell. Um, you can he the, the whole grab your hats thing about pace was fun. Um, let's see, the Pro Football Focus grades are on the site for for this week. I know I'm having to call it Week Four because that's what PFF uses, even though it's not Week Four for for UVA folks. So you're just gonna have to get over that part. I'm sorry. Um, I did a three two one. Obviously, the game week presser, uh, the weekend wrap, take two. It's literally all there. And we've added the post-game presser. Um, in, in the past, what I've done is I've typically used the comments from that and, and put it in my column. Um, I've decided this year, um, since it's all going to be Zoom anyway, and I don't have to worry about fighting Wi-Fi down in um, underneath, um, that I can go ahead and just do that. So all, all of it, all of that is there for your, um, for your uh, in, entertainment and enjoyment. Uh, again, I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. I want to thank Dave and Ferber for giving graciously of their time, as always. I very much appreciate all they do. Um, so, for David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. See you soon. There's something in your-